The Holy Gospel according to St. John. This comes as Jesus is praying in the garden before his betrayal and arrest. Jesus says this, I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave to me, I have given to them, and they have received them, and know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you have sent me. I am asking on their behalf, I'm not asking on my behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. When I, while I was with them, I protected them in your name that you had given me. I guarded them, and not one of them was lost except the one destined to be lost, so that the scriptures might be fulfilled." But now I am coming to you and I'm speaking these things in the world so that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but I'm asking you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I sanctify myself so that they also may be sanctified in truth. This is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts help us to live and love like you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Over the last couple months, my husband, David, and I have been watching all of the Marvel Universe movies, you know, like Captain America, Captain Marvel, Iron Man, Thor, right on and on. It started when Disney Plus launched WandaVision, and I was a casual watcher of the Marvel Universe before that, but all of a sudden, I wanted to know all the details, because as I watched WandaVision, I felt like, and I was, watching the ending to something without knowing where it began. So our journey began in this timeline order with all the Marvel Universe last night, We finally finished the last hour of Endgame, and I feel like we have arrived. So, this passage today from the Gospel of John feels a little bit like that, right? We're jumping in on the last bit of a much bigger story. It's right after this prayer ends that Jesus is betrayed and the arrest happens. I imagine this scripture, like that scene right before the big battle happens, that slow, serious, instrumental music starts setting in. There's this like drone shot starting with the landscape and then moving towards this intimate moment with Jesus and the disciples. 
Now, I always make sure to turn on the subtitles so that I can not only hear but see what I'm saying because I can't hear everything, but I would turn them on definitely at this point. I'd want to know every single little nuance that was being said. And as I start to hear Jesus mumbling, well, I start realizing what Jesus is doing. He's praying, but not just any prayer, right? He starts praying for the disciples that are gathered around him at that point. These are the people that had been with Jesus, the people that had been with him through thick and thin, those who he knew he would be leaving behind, those he loved and who loved him as well. Jesus prays that they would have wisdom, that they would be protected, and that they would always stay near the truth. This moment in the gospel serves as this final summary, in a sense. Jewish writers often used this type of recording. They would record a dying figure's final advice to their followers, lifting up those important points of instruction and information. Well, this prayer of Jesus pulls together many of the different themes that Jesus has been teaching throughout the Gospel of John. It's really just this beautiful, intimate moment that we get to encounter in Jesus' life and ministry. Now, the disciples had always wanted in on Jesus' prayer life. They wanted to learn from him. They wanted to hear how Jesus talked to God on a number of occasions, even asking, Lord, teach us to pray. But in the shadows, in the night, here after that last supper, Jesus wasn't even teaching them to pray. Jesus was praying for them, right in front of them. Now, it might have been a little awkward and hard to hear Jesus admit to God, I am no longer in this world, but they are. This might have filled the disciples with some confusion or maybe even starting this grief process, and they no doubt would have clung to Jesus even tighter if they knew what the next couple days had in store. Jesus' body no longer here, but Jesus' body is very much here. We are the body, and that is what Jesus is praying. It reminds me of a quote from St. Teresa of Avila when, when she said, Christ has no body on earth but yours, no hands but yours, no feet but yours. Yours are the eyes through which the compassion of Christ looks out unto the hurting world. Yours are the feet with which goes about doing good. Yours are the hand with which now he blesses. It's a tall order for us, right? Jesus should have left like his future presence down here, maybe in some more capable hands than ours. I mean, no offense to any of us, but we have to admit that we're broken. And if we really admit it, we know that our lives fall to sin time and time again. We know that sometimes we can do everything and still not get it right. We are too quick to judge, too quick to think of ourselves and our needs, too quick to not love our neighbors, and too quick not to listen. It's our human 
nature. But here is the thing that I realized this week. In that moment, Jesus knew that. God knew that. And they still trusted you and me to fulfill God's mission in this world. So when Jesus prays these words, I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but I'm asking that you protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world. I could imagine if I was there stopping Jesus right there and asking him for more details, more explanation, more of something so that I would know what that means. Because we do belong to the world more than we'd like to admit. We're in the world and we're of the world as best I can tell. Now, I remember when I was a high school student, I heard a sermon at a Christian camp that I was at once, and it had this really intense message of, you are to be in the world, but not of the world. But as a high school student, they didn't connect the dots for me enough. I knew it was bad to be worldly, but I didn't know what the opposite really looked like day in and day out. I tried not being materialistic. I tried thinking only holy thoughts. I tried talking about my faith with others. I tried praying for more, more than two minutes at a time without getting distracted, but I failed. I failed, and I failed, and I failed. I didn't, it didn't make sense to me. I'm in the world and of the world, and I couldn't seem to figure out what it meant to be disentangled from that. Now, although I'm certain that that message came from Romans, and I now know more of the context of Scripture, but as an adult, when I read this passage from John, I see something else. Jesus did not issue this as a commandment, be in the world, but not of the world. He wasn't even talking to the disciples at the time. He was talking to God in a moment of prayer. And so then I think, if I can model that in my own life, when I fall on my knees and lift my head and talk to God about this in, not of business, it becomes a humble confession for me, this deep yearning, right? I lay all the times that I've missed the mark, that I've sinned, that I've failed at God's heart at the foot of Jesus's cross first and foremost. And then from there, things begin to change. I begin to pray to be in, but not of the world. So, what does that mean? To belong not to the world, all the while still being in the world with all of our limitations that we are bound to here and now. Mary Oliver is a poet, um, and she wrote this beautiful poem called Drifting. The first couple lines go like this, and I want you to kind of imagine she's a, she's a, she writes a lot about nature, right? So I can just imagine her on a hike in the woods, and she says this, I was enjoying everything, the rain, the path, wherever it was taking me, the earth, roots beginning to stir. I didn't intend to start thinking about God, it just happened. How God or the gods are invisible, quite understandable, but holiness is visible entirely. But holiness is visible entirely. What if, what if 
not belonging to the world means to simply be practiced in seeing holiness everywhere. But holiness is visible entirely. Now, I'm not quite sure when in our lives, starting from a little one, that we begin to stop seeing things as mysterious, as holy, as something bigger than ourselves. I'm not sure when we stop seeing that in one another, in ourselves, and in the world that God created. But it happens without us even realizing it. And before you know it, we're off balance. Not being, we are off balance because our souls are longing for something more than this world can offer. We stop seeing that holiness is visible all around us. During seminary, one of the requirements is to do a unit of CPE, clinical pastoral education. You spend 12 whole weeks in a hospital as a chaplain. And during that summer, I spent mine at Carolina Medical Center, now Atrium, in downtown Charlotte. I really did learn so much about myself and about pastoral care in those short 12 weeks. But one of the things that will stick with me forever came out of one of our education sessions. Did you know that hospitals with a visible and active chaplaincy team have left staff turnover? Specifically in their ER departments, they have a higher patient satisfaction and, and um, patients who use the chaplaincy program have quicker recoveries with less medication from surgeries and procedures. It's amazing, right? But as I worked there that summer, I started to see it happen right before my eyes. Because when I was on call overnight, at least two times I would go and I would check in with the ER staff. I would check in with the ICU staffs just to make sure that everything was okay or maybe even add a little laugh in what could have been a really hard night. When I was called to the floor of the ER or a room because something horrible was happening, I started to understand my role as those 12 weeks went on. It wasn't medical because, duh, I'm not a doctor or a nurse, and I wasn't somebody coming to check them in or ask them for insurance. My job was simply to see, to see the holiness that was going on all around me, to see the nurses that were busting their tails, taking amazing care of patients, even those incredibly difficult ones, to see doctors running around from floor to floor with a bit of imposter syndrome trying to make the best choices possible for each and every patient, to see those transport people running people back and forth in the hallways just to keep up, to see the janitor staff that would come in after a trauma bed had just been taken over by a tornado of people and trauma, to see the families that were scared to death about what the next step would be to see patients not just as a case, but as a parent, as a child, as a sibling, as a friend. It was my job as a chaplain to see the holiness that was visible entirely in that hospital and then to speak God's truth, to speak God's grace, to speak God's love into that very moment to each and every 
person I encountered. As I begin to think, isn't that our job too? As Christians, I think that we're called to be chaplains to the world. It is our job to see that holiness is everywhere, in everything, in every person, in every situation. And then we are to speak God's love and grace and truth and hope every single time that we see it. It isn't easy but I think that it's a practice that we can begin to cultivate as Christians to see holiness in everything and everyone because holiness is visible entirely. Are you looking? Amen.